0: Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today on the show, we have Sanchit Arvind returning. A couple of months ago, we talked about the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind uh, by Yuval Harari. And today we're going to talk about Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. So this is about the future of humankind. And this book in particular, in the last three years, has probably been one of the most influential books on me personally, Uh, Just learning more about technology, where the world is going, um, 21st century, all that kind of uh, thinking. And so in this episode, Sanjay and I talk about some really wild ideas and and dataism and techno-humanism and things like that. So uh, put your thinking cap on. We're going for a ride. And we recorded this at the intersection of Dickens and Lincoln here in uh, Chicago, in Lincoln Park. And so you can, you can hear this like fountain in the background and cicadas are, are doing their thing. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. And we're going to continue doing podcast episodes on books. The next one we're going to do is called A Billion Americans by Matthew Iglesias. And I think in the future, we're going to need a lot more people here in America. And we're going to need the infrastructure to take that on. So I'm really curious about this book and learn kind of uh, this person's ideas on it. So that's the next one, A Billion Americans. You can follow Sunshit on Instagram at Sanj, And also he's got a band and he plays music and it's it's at Sanj Rikas. Let's begin. All right. I'm here with Sunshit Arvind. And the last time we did a podcast episode together, it was on the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari. And that was one of two of his books. And this one that we're doing now is called Homo Deus. And we're recording this at Dickens and Lincoln Avenue. Mm-hmm. You can, you can probably hear the fountain behind us. So there's this big fountain. Uh, earlier a dog was walking through it, swimming <laughs> through it. Uh, you got the cicadas, I think that's what they are. Cicadas, over yeah. Here. Uh, and so we're just gonna talk about this book called Homo Deus. For me, this has been, when I first read this book, it just like, you know how people say like it blew, blew their mind? Yeah. This is probably the closest book to like blowing my mind. So much so that after I read it, I started making my moves in life a lot differently kind of like as someone who loves i'm kind of like a romantic i love the past Mm -hmm. i love but then i'm like oh man i I gotta uh, prepare myself for the future so
1: i I think he even claims in there to to hope that this book gives you a bit of a broader understanding about the future and its possibilities so you can change some of your behaviors or adapt to it or do whatever you want right make you a little bit aware of the new realities that we as a species are coming to terms with. Yeah. And why don't we, so we, we both have the book.
0: Yeah, true. See, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't like the book covers. What? Why? It gets, I don't know. I don't like It's a
1: bit floppy. Right. I I see that. Well, that one
0: uh, turned, turned over so I can see it. That one's not too bad. I don't like all these multiple colors, like the green or blue in there. I don't (laughs) like that. I like like the monochrome, like the dual colors. Uh, so this is mm. it, it wasn't actually my choice i bought this used and uh sure. it didn't have it so that's why it's like this but um yeah why don't you give a, a brief summary of homo deus uh,
1: 400 pages sure yes
0: um 400 pages uh
1: briefing the history of the future <laughs> <laughs> okay so it starts off uh summarizing kind of the contents of this previous book sapiens Um, we have managed to turn the problems that we have lived with for about like for 69,000 years of our history into manageable problems. And those problems are famine, uh, starvation and, or hunger or destitution or anything of that sort. Um, and this is his agenda. Like, yes. Yeah. For
0: 69,000 years, the human agenda has been famine,
1: war and disease and disease and starvation yes yeah yeah. and how do we how do we uh deal with those and that has always plagued us right for for all of our history but now we are in this like the precipice of a moment or we are in this moment where it's not yeah it's not a problem of of uh uh of a potentially disastrous scale anymore yes there are still famines yes there are still wars yes there are still diseases i feel like that one <laughs> we can talk about but usually yeah, well. i think i think his point is that it's not an uncontrollable phenomenon that we must bow our heads down and pray to the almighty to cure it's not because the stars are misaligned it's not because you made some bad choices in your past it's because there was a certain group of political leaders, a certain kind of political class that mismanaged the situation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, you see that with COVID a lot, at least like with the blame game of, you know, whose fault is it? Why is the why cases rising? Why are deaths rising and so on and so forth? You see it with famine as well, like when there are these diseases, it's not because we lack the means to solve it. It's because someone made the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And 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 so, OK, having said that, um, where does that put us? What are the new challenges that humanity 2.0 is going to face? So now, what's what are the three things on the human agenda exactly. today? Exactly. What are the three things on the human agenda today? Um, and to do this, he he starts by saying, okay, what are the um, what are the ideologies? What are the stories that we've told ourselves? um for all of our human history for at least the recorded part um and in terms of how we dealt with things like this because we did make progress right so how did we get ourselves to do that um and he gets into just religion in general um and he defines religion as uh and i might get these three wrong but it's like a combination of um an ethical judgment and a factual statement that results in a way that we have to behave so ethical judgment: humans ought to uh, obey God. Factual statement: God said that homosexuality is bad. Behavior: We should not practice homosexuality because God said it's bad, and uh, we need to listen to it. Or, um, and so okay, if we define a religion like that, he'll he'll draw on various religions, you know, that we are familiar with—Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever it may be—and then he also draws on like uh liberalism and he says okay this this could also be understood as a religion it's just one that kind of took off when science and industry took off yeah like uh, humanism
0: he has a lot to say about humanism, so right? so
1: uh, you you beat me to it but <coughs> <laughs> so he'll start liberalism which i thought was, that was a surprising one because I, I you don't think of this as a religion right but yeah. that's his his point is that if you can distill any ideology down to those three things right a uh, combination of ethical judgments and factual statements that result in some sort of way that humans ought to behave that would be a religion some kind of dogma so liberalism is one capitalism would be another communism nazism and then finally this humanist agenda and i think um i think the way he describes this is humanism is this overarching religion now that we have um that liberalism communism capitalism are all flavors of kind of like how old religion or like godism shall we call it for lack of a better word theism right um heism had flavors like christianity islam and so on uh humanism has these flavors that have been but in contention with each other so
0: he's not confident that humanism will exist in the future right right so there's a new god yeah
1: <laughs> uh i hate to break this to you but yes <laughs> so so uh
0: so the scientific revolution Happens. Yeah. the industrial
1: and... revolution happened yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that led to this kind of marriage between science and religion that led to then that led to us sanctifying human will and human being beh- beh- yeah. uh human emotions and human senses uh and championing that and placing that at the top of the pyramid and that's what we need to kind of revolve around and he's got this amazing section about um oh the consumer is god right so like yeah. um it doesn't matter how you treat your chicken. The point is that you're able to sell it, right? Um, and yeah. so, and so, it, why? We just accept that our will is the most, is sanctimonious thing, right? And what we would like and our benefit and human life is sacred, right? And that is the core tenet of the humanist, humanism, humanist religion. Uh, then what he does is he tries to extrapolate what so after like spending a lot of time dis- discussing what the goals of this humanist agenda would be what humanism is about um, he tries to extrapolate and take it to its natural conclusion what would the world look like if we truly did realize the goals of humanism in the way that we are doing right now so the goals of humanism for him are to maximize happiness makes sense right and we've seen this like across history people write about this Aristotle wrote a bunch about this. Um, Buddha had a bit on how you really escape um, uh, desire, and that would be the way to actually be completely happy. So if you pursue these, okay, so maximizing happiness, um, maximizing human life, is another important one. So
0: humans want to live happier, longer, longer,
1: and, and uh, better. I think like you just your. Uh, I think that's the third one. It's your your biological functions just would be enhanced. Which I think is a part of the immortality like goal as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Healthy,
0: so healthier, happier, longer.
1: Healthier, happier, longer. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. What,
0: that's what humans want now.
1: <laughs> so if you take these to their natural conclusion, given the trends that are going on right now, where would they go? Um, and so that last section of the chapter is this Black Mirror-esque, like dystopian end to the humanist agenda. And I think his point is that we'll replace ourselves with uh something that is just more powerful or beyond right and the two branches i think that he calls are this techno-humanism uh which um techno-humanism is the yeah the the useless class will come in over there where you have uh you've always had costs and classes in history uh that were rooted though in some sort of myth that we told ourselves right Uh, uh european aristocrats would point to the veins on, on their arms and this is crazy but and say like oh i have red blood a blue blood flowing through my veins but peasants have red blood and that's why we're better <laughs> um but but now what so so it's, that's a myth right yeah but if there's actually a biological separation between um and that's where the techno-humanism goes right you enhance a so body that's, so yeah and the the other one which i think is the more um more interesting one is the dataism religion and yes. so this is if you've seen the show um damn i can't remember what it's called but it it starts with this you are being watched uh, it's this um uh, sounds cr- like every so, <laughs> <laughs> so someone post 9-11 decides that it's never going to happen again and creates this ai that is capable of uh watching and st- identifying like terrorist acts before they actually happen but they overdo it and turns out the AI sees everything including ordinary citizens and when and how they could lose their lives um and so something happens and the creator of this teams up with a cia agent it's like a typical like um network show in that they okay. teams up with a former cia person who's supposed to be dead to stop um ordinary people from losing their lives and save their lives uh, but dataism is, is i feel like it's kind of an extrapolation of that where we'll start to value the collective human experiences collect all of that and use that uh to drive all of our decision making there's no will there's no humanist desire and will single individual yeah it's just a collective yeah that's that's a great quote that you'll have is there's no individual implies that one cannot be separated but what biology has taught us about ourselves is we're actually made up of a ton of individuals like we are all you can divide every single emotion that you feel into like a sequence of either deterministic processes where i felt something before and now or some external factor or just random stuff like that just neurons firing in a certain way that leads you to do something but that that's algorithmic in some sense and so if we take all of that info and pull it in this one place uh that through ai and ml that stuff gets stronger and better and uh more accurate right at learning things about what you want and and why would you then listen to your own will if this is based on like your data is only your data if i pull it in with everyone else's it would be better right and so that's that's the dataism religion which i enjoyed that chapter so okay so so
0: some something i
1: this has been a while
0: since i read this book and uh when i read books i don't necessarily retain the information i just remember like what did i take away most from this book and then i like take actions moving forward okay but I, i do recall there being a point where he's talking about dating and there's like a, so say the, the computer system or the algorithm inside of you say, say I go and I go on a date with Jane and then uh, I went on a date with Lisa. Yeah. I might be more physically attracted to Jane but The algorithm is telling me that based on all these other things I know about you, Lisa is the better fit for you. So then it's like there's no action, it's like all an algorithm. The
1: the key, I think, to that thought is okay, so I remember exactly this. this yeah, spectrum. so it's in that book. Okay, yeah, not so so the way he explained that is you're right. Okay, so the first part is Jane, Lisa. The question is, who do I go to, right? Yeah, and if if you were subject to the whims of yourself, right, you would say, oh, Jane is more attractive, so I, I pick Jane. Yeah. Um, what if you could ask Google or your assistant Alexa, hey, who should I pick? Well, you know, I've been gathering all this information about yeah. you. I like read your emails, I read your texts. I noticed that your heart rate, like, skips a beat when you talk to Lisa. I noticed that when you come home, you're a little bit, the tone in your voice is just yeah. a little bit higher and happier. Yeah. You're whistling sometimes when you come from a date from Lisa. Versus with Jane, you sound a little bit jaded. Um, I know that from your water intake that I collect, uh, through your, um, you know, biometric, this thing that, okay, you know, you're, you're just healthier. I think when you're with Lisa yeah. and I know that you think that you are, uh, more physically attracted to, uh, Jane, but, uh, I also know that on average, all humans, uh, it's like 15% is the total weight that is assigned to actual physical attraction. Yeah. So I don't think it will be that good of an idea for you. It's not you making this algorithmic decision, right? It's Google. Just based off of all of it, all of Google or whatever, whatever, uh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, um, principle. What is the principle here? Right. Some, some algorithm given enough info is just going to be better, uh, at, at giving you that advice. And so he describes these things in, in three ways. Right. So first in, um, let me see if I remember the words it is, the first is the, the Oracle Right, which is this mm-hmm. i asked the oracle for advice the or the three faiths will tell me oh you know this is the path that you should go on and i'm like you know what that's a good idea uh the oracles used to be based in scripture uh then they used to be based uh on laws right and what collective humans have decided and now it's just data okay so the first step of this is the oracle it's still we are here you know it's, it's a it's a very infant stage of this algorithm so the next one is um uh the agent Right where this, I actually think of this as uh, think like Tony Stark. Uh, what's, uh, what's his? Um, uh, um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the thing. Uh, not Baxter. Um, the guy who becomes Vision, right? That guy. <laughs> 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 so, so that um, he makes half of Tony's decisions for him because yeah. he's the is like to, uh, sure maybe take out Tony out of that equation, but that thing is if you had a CEO of a company that had that thing with it it's totally capable of just making half your decisions for you right and you would actually defer a lot of the decision making to that and retain very little will so one is i seek out advice and i i receive it and then act on it the second stage is there are a set of things that this is just going to decide automatically for me as part of like just because i know that it's better um but you still kind of retain like final ownership of the final decision um i think the third yeah. stage i forget the word that he uses it's oracle agent and then um it's just a replacement um and i can try to find the section here and, and uh, this is not this. just
0: dating it's like hey based on your your metrics right now yeah. instead of watching tv you should play saxophone right now well you should read a you should do this or that
1: to get your body to do this Right and okay, so I think he he'll open this entire section with like okay, so so what's the problem with you making the decision right about this um, right now in this humanist religion that we have, we trust ourselves to do a lot of this decision making. We say that what I when I make a New Year resolution to go to the gym every day, whatever whatever it may be, you know, I'm doing it because it's in my best interest. Um, but a lot of this like it's I, I'm doing this because it's in my best interest. Uh, OK, if you actually look at the brain and like and, you know, we know surprisingly little about it, but we also know we know a surprisingly decent amount as well. Right. Um, and we know that there are these two parts of it in in the sense that there's this narrating self, right, that that you tell yourself that this is happening um, and you you kind of provide a rationale for all the actions that you do. And there's this experiencing self that just is. That can't speak, but it, it feels. It feels yeah. everything, right? Um and your brain constantly tries to wrap a story around why your experiencing self <laughs> yeah. is experiencing that. So the problem with this humanist uh perception of life, right, is humanist religion is that we trust our narrating selves, but sometimes ignore the experiencing self. Yeah. So who's to say that which is right? Like how, how do I know which part of you is the real part that um is actually responsible for making the decisions? Is it the narrative self? And, and so a lot of the problems that he'll talk about this right is is like a fantastic experiment by Kahneman where they'll um, they'll ask there's two groups of people.
0: Daniel Kahneman. Daniel Kahneman.
1: Uh, 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 okay. Thinking fast and slow. Yep. Two groups of people. Um, people in two groups. The first group will be putting their hands in water at, I know that, okay, 14 degrees Celsius. What is that? 50, probably 45 degrees. But, wrong okay. <laughs> okay. So there's. So the first group of people is putting their hands in forty-five degrees Fahrenheit uh, temperature water for sixty seconds. Second group of people put it put um, their hand in water at forty-five degrees Fahrenheit for sixty seconds, but then uh, for I think it's for ninety seconds. But the final thirty seconds, the water temperature is increased by one degree Fahrenheit or one degree Celsius, so whatever. So it goes to forty-six. Uh, and then the best part, of it what they are asked is, okay, if you had to do this again, which one uh, yeah. would you do? Right. Um, so from a pure experience, right? Forty five degrees Celsius water, the forty-five degree Fahrenheit water is cold, right? That both experiences are awful. Um, the second one is it's a longer time in cold water. Sure, like the water temperature increases, but like by a pretty insignificant amount, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's still if you just sum up the experience, your experiencing body was suffering more um in the second one, right? But it's around like eighty to ninety percent will say, Um, yeah, I prefer the longer this thing. just because the narrating self, the way it thinks about stuff is um through the the peak pain, right, which is how the worst that you felt okay. and the end. Uh, right at the end of the experience, how did you feel? So the application for this is in a colonoscopy, right, which is a pretty invasive procedure, right? You know yeah, what I would imagine so. right? Yeah, yeah. so the the question is, okay, how do you make it so that people, feel less pain about it um, and the way to do this is uh, so okay a five minute colonoscopy versus a 10 minute colonoscopy you would imagine that a five minute colonoscopy is probably like a better experience right because it's just like less invasive. shorter yeah Yeah, it's shorter because it's less intrusive but as long as like the doctor in the middle makes you feel a little bit un- in- uneasy but mm. towards the end is like really slow and really calm the narrating self will actually tell you that the 10 minutes one was a lot better because that's the way it calculates um, uh, sensation and emotions and stuff like that. Huh. Uh, so take this to the voting booth, right? You could have like three years of god-awful experiences with the government. But right at the fourth year, suddenly taxes are gone. Government spendings is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you're in the voting booth. What do you remember? The The great campaign bus ad that you just saw or the three years of like really bad? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's so so the narrating self is, that will is is biochemical it's pretty irrational and more importantly it can be gamed right in a certain sense like now our um humans are now hackable yeah that's yeah. something i really yeah. pulled from the book yeah uh, and he he relates this through the humanist agenda uh, while while tracing this religion uh that's how he kind of arrives at this conclusion they are hackable the best example for this is um, the slew of medication that's just available, right? To make you feel a certain way or not a certain way. Um, which, again, like, there are a lot, there are good things, right? A lot of this is, like, progress um, in, and a step in the right direction. Um, I think there was an experiment in Israel that he'll cite about a person uh, feeling, you know, just clinically depressed, right? And the approach was to put a couple of sensors that kind of, like, prevent the communication between that part of between the part of the brain that feels that and cut, cuts off the communication to the other the rest of the brain um what happened though right and it's a little chip that you put inside your brain uh so he was feeling great now a couple of months later he came back he's like I, I feel worse than ever they found out that the battery of that thing had just died and that all they had to do was replace that back to normal completely um oh, yeah it, it really like medical <laughs> tech is incredible but like once you get into like these these biochemical reactions are algorithmic right in that they are deterministic you can put step one step two step three step four and kind of describe the flow of this right and a lot of these like so i'm reading behave by sapolsky right now and a lot of these neurobiological experiments what they do is they capture these like fundamentals uh um i forget what they're called but like uh whatever the mri captures right those like the flow of current in your brain that results in communication um and you know some other fundamentals about hormone and uh, uh blood pressure and they're able to predict what you're going to do with about an 80 to 90 percent accuracy before you actually do it really yeah so wow. so a lot of this is like very algorithmic in nature these days right and so um so yeah i mean that's this point about the humanist agenda being gameable um so if we can design a better algorithm that makes more reliable decisions more consistently that is truth truthful and correct and not confounded by this like narrative irrational sense of the experience that you're making um why wouldn't wouldn't our pursuit of that eventually replace this humanist um uh religion that we have set ourselves so And then th- it's like we
0: become more machines if we're not making yeah. our own decisions. Right? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think, I, I think so. I think, and I think this is where the techno humanism part comes in. Yeah. Um, so the techno humanism is the like, okay, we realize we, there are ways to game this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways that we can make our own designer babies. There are ways that you can uh, prevent your muscles from atrophying. Um, if you undergo some bad injury or something like that, and you eliminate death to the point where it's not like, um, like unless you have an accident right or it's like a very low chance that you'll die of natural causes or whatever whatever it is um that's where we that's that's the techno-humanism argument where the what we'll end up creating um according to him are these two classes the useless class which are the folks that don't have access to any of this and then like everyone else the superhuman beings um now one might argue and this is another great line one might argue is that the healthcare tech that the useless class has access to is gonna be infinitely better than what we have access to today. today
0: right, Which is yeah. great.
1: But you know if you tell a farmer in uh, you know in rural Europe in the sixteen hundreds, hey man, in like I know that you hate this now or in the seventeen hundreds, right? And I know you hate this now, but like you're gonna be working in a factory, it's gonna be a lot better, you'll have pay. So your struggles now are for a good cause. Like you're not gonna care. No. Right? Like, <laughs> well and and he, he points this out
0: how big of an issue like wealth inequality is Mm -hmm. because the wealthy will be able to afford to basically live pursue immortality right
1: right, yeah so the the question there is like okay who gets access to this and then it's inevitably like it's going to be like the wealthy right so um i mean yeah again inevitably is a strong word i shouldn't say that like it's a it's a distinct possibility that it would end up like that and i think that, that's what I really like about this book is that he makes the he's not a prophet. right? These aren't prophecies. These are not these are just nuclear takes about yeah. about how um, the pursuit of these humanist ideals will end up in scenarios that could eventually just uproot the humanist religion itself. Yeah. If the algorithms are better at making decisions, why do we need the useless humans? Right. Right. If we can all just pool our information um, and gather much better information about potential pandemics about car accidents and where to go and stuff like that then why uh why do we need the human aspect of it like if so. if we
0: could just use the data to make our lives objectively better yeah why would we not do that
1: yeah right and 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 in doing that i think the idea is that you're gonna end up in a state where oh okay so for the dataism part right is the the institutions that we have built the liberal institutions that we've built that sanctify human desire human emotion human sensation and place it at the top of what we should aspire to will that hold up in an age where the collective human beings data that we collect is the most important thing like will is democracy sufficient for capital for um dataism just like how um the feudal system was insufficient for like liberty, fraternity, and equality, and we we realized like you know that that's been the motto since I don't get my dates wrong seventeen seventy nine or is that America I don't know whatever right how that has been the motto for so long. Um, once there is this new religion that so that's where liberalism came right that's where uh, capitalism, communism all those spawned out of uh, a change in uh, in religion. So, if we enter this new religion of Vedas, what are the institutions going to look like? Will democracy be able to hold up? Will we go back to, like, kings and monarchs? Or will there be something else? You would think they would be more efficient. Yeah, but you... I don't... I don't think they... So, I don't think the current institutions would be more efficient because they won't be able to keep up with the scale of decision-making. So, he's Mm. got this nice, like, section there. It's like the government isn't the leader of what we need to think. It, like, manages us. This, yeah. Yeah, right. It, it prevents our sewers from draining and um, from overflowing and makes sure that waste is managed. And, yes. uh, well, they don't even do that. But, like, um, right. So it, it's, it's, it's not the leader of kind of where we should go. It loses its say when we enter this data dataism religion. And I, I, you kind of see some of this happening, right? Like, I, I think with, with, like, COVID, um, you see that, Uh, you know like uber eats still functioned even though like the the rest the whole of the west coast was on fire right like but like people still got food and delivery like that way right that that was what kind of saved and a lot of these are like they're not obviously at the dataism like uh they're not at the level that duval describes them yet they're still in their infant stages but you kind of see shades of what he describes i think in the modern world which is uh, which is kind of what this book made me pay attention to it opened my eyes to a lot of these things that uh, Are going on in the current world and I think you're really right when you say like, you know, you, you change your behavior a little bit right is um, mm-hmm. w- Upon reading this book.
0: I've uh, like yeah, I've like shifted I Would say this I wasn't someone who really sought out knowledge on science and technology and biology and physics before I read this book. Yeah. Okay. And then since then, I've, I've really, I wouldn't say I've become obsessed, but I'm, I'm definitely more aware, and I want to know more information about all these different things. Yeah. Whether it's, uh, it, it seems like in this book. Uh, I, I don't know where this is originally from, but like the big breakthrough of the first half of the 20th century was physics. And then the second half of the 20th century was information technology. Okay. And then now the 21st century, like the first half of it seems like it's going to be biotechnology. Okay. And driven driven by this idea this new humanist agenda of people want to live longer healthier and happier so the technology and investment is going into yeah stuff like that yeah
1: i would think that like so physics and like hard science yeah i'm gonna make sure the it's still recording sure 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 and then i yeah <laughs> i actually think that the second half of the 20th century had um say that again i think that the second half of the 20th century had uh psych and like what do you feel and unpacking the the technology of your brain like wh- how do we quantify that and algorithmize it and i think that towards the end of the 20th century we, we did start getting the boom in the information age but i would argue that 21st century start was is the information age right we really yeah you know if you watch these like 90s shows people will say a line, like wow this internet thing is here to stay i'm like really like <laughs> and that it's bizarre to us right but but really it is um um, okay so what what things
0: are we experiencing right now that we'd be saying like oh wow this is here to stay This is here to That stay? people in the future
1: will look at us as like naive and i my hot take there is the designer baby thing okay i think that like every human um tech like that right starts off as, under the well not under it but in the in the guise of saving lives, right? Ex-
0: explain the idea of the designer baby thing. I don't okay, think sure. Everybody so, knows about this. so
1: a lot of it is. Um, um, okay, have you heard of Twenty Three and Me? Yeah. So yeah, Twenty Three and Me is a service that you can. It's a tube that you get and you spit in the tube. You ship it to uh, Mountain Valley, California, and then you get an email that gives you every single disease genetically that yeah. they know and they can find that you could potentially contract. It was started by a former Googler. Um, and, and and you know, that, that is useful information, right? Um, so, so when I say designer babies, I guess I mean uh, medical technologies that kind of enable this sort of insight. Um, he's got this great story about Angelina Jolie that I wasn't aware of, but uh, she announced to the world in um, some time, right? That she was gonna get a mastectomy. Um, and it is a dangerous procedure, right? Um, but her idea was that, uh, she did a test that found that she had a gene that could potentially mean that she would get breast cancer. So the preventative way to do that is to get a mastectomy. Um, and his whole thing is like, she didn't, how did she make this decision? She didn't go watch the sunset, meditate, you know, uh, go on a trip to discover herself. No, nah, she looked at an algorithm that said, hey, look, Like this is a possibility, so you should do this. And she made that decision, right? So we've already started kind of relying on like bio and biological information to make changes to our bodies. Uh, Designer Babies is just um, um, kind of doing that for your kin. So um, this starts with like things like autism. So there are technologies now uh, that can in utero help you figure out what uh, or tell you if there's a chance whether your baby is autistic or not or going to be autistic or not and this it does it uh, so what's the motivation for this it's to better plan your pregnancy right uh because it's hard raising uh, an autistic child in the world so um so this technology exists right and i think that designer babies will come in in the sense of like okay you can uh, prevent certain diseases turn off why don't you turn off the colorblindness chain why don't you like uh uh potential deformity in the mi- ring finger you know we can we can fix that right like ways that your child could be potentially hamstrung in the modern world we can remove stuff like that like the natural extension of that is like um you know uh, so i want the smartest kid the strongest kid you know the most good looking like whatever right um but i, I think that like that tech for sure it'll be something that um we're saying oh wow that's really here to say yeah of course it will because i think that like humanist goal here is happier healthier and Water. live longer right. right um so yeah if if we can tweak the kin to do that of course we would do that right well, so what about then CRISPR? It, uh, i've heard of this this is the gene pool right this is like the gene editing Oh, the protein that's really good at this or the bacteria that's really good at this. Yeah.
0: I I think CRISPR is the technology or the company.
1: It's the, it's the, so there's a, there's a specific type of bacteria that is, oh, the the science is crazy. Okay. There's a specific type of virus. Science is crazy, man. (laughs) There's a specific type of virus that is lethal to bacteria. Um, And it does it by finding a specific um, gene, I think, and replacing or putting its own gene over there. And that just kind of allows it to um, uh, infect the bacteria and then it will always stay within that because as the bacteria multiplies, that that virus is always going to stay with it. Bacteria have a really amazing way of dealing with this, right? They have this certain enzyme that is able to go through every single one of its genes and identify that one exact foreign element and replace it and remove it so that it doesn't continue we have figured out how to take that particular enzyme inside of bacteria to target specific genes. So that is CRISPR, I think, right? The, it it allows us to I, I think zero like, in on a gene. It's like looking replace.
0: at humans as... Um, you know, like a computer... Like it's ones and zeros, like the coding? Like you can...
1: So I... I is, um, that, is that what it is? I would use like a... Um, like if you imagine a human as a modular program, right, with a bunch of different functions that each of them do different things, CRISPR allows you to figure out exactly which function would be doing what, and then replace that with something else. The, yeah. yeah, So, so yeah, I think like the application of CRISPR is designer baby. Um, and again, I use this term obviously like to describe all of that.
0: And this is kind of what Yuval kind of
1: gets into is, so say
0: we start editing, we, we have designer babies now and they're they're healthier and they're, they're a little st- maybe stronger because they're not sure and they live longer yeah
1: let's say let's say all three they're so, happier too.
0: at a certain point there's just going to be us like regular people that were born yeah
1: so so this naturally. is this is i think Yuval's techno humanist so he's got like like and he does this really well so i really recommend this book folks like you gotta re- you really gotta read this um but again he says this many times the point is to broaden your perspective into all of these potential futures yeah. um what are the humanist goals and objectives happier stronger uh, uh, healthier and live longer okay um does this particular technological revolution fit into that yes it does um, what would the end goal look like if this was achieved, right? And I think this is his techno-humanist prediction, which is the useless class and the class that has access or can pay for, or however it manifests itself in the future, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I don't imagine this is something that would be covered under universal healthcare of any kind, right? But um, but I don't know, like, uh, so, so yeah, this, the, you're essentially opening the door to this techno-humanist where you can literally make biological differences something that was never available right but you can actually you can point your veins and say hey blue blood that's why i'm better than you like you can potentially actually do that so um that's where the useless class would come in is like the folks that don't have access to this sure their lives might be a lot better maybe they have universal basic income um but there is he
0: makes yeah he he says like before this death and illness treated everybody kind of the same yeah the same yeah and now it could potentially not
1: yeah based on uh wealth right i think i think based on wealth and well so wealth because of capitalism right or or because of liberalism or whatever the wealth because of the institutions that we live with today um i think the the question that he poses that i find more interesting is can the institutions that we have today keep up with the pace of the 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 technical the technological revolutions driven by humanism? Okay, I said a lot there. What do I mean by that? So he but, so
0: he says he goes through them right, and he's like, Nazism didn't work, or Fascism yeah, yeah. didn't work, Socialism didn't work, Communism,
1: Capitalism,
0: so far has worked.
1: So and, and he he also answered the question why right it's that I actually really enjoyed that section and this kind of fits with like this larger thought that I think um, that I've been reading about that that's like so what is the driving force of history I think like technology it's technology I think like enables certain things and if the thing that it is enabling um, uh, as long as the like the actors in the world game kind of react to that in in the right way then uh they're the ideal their ideology is the one that 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 end up winning right so um so the communism argument is that data processing i think this is that uh, in data is in trapper, you'll have that the key oh some, the key, real quick yeah, yeah
0: something i took away from the book is okay. that like data processing yeah and as a human yeah. i'm an information processor oh
1: this okay so yeah what are the well, go, go back to your thing <laughs> go back yeah, to that communism is a, that is a good aside okay so um um wh- why okay it w- it was that centralized versus decentralized in terms of data processing the four elements that um so okay if your religion is dataism how do you what is better uh if you have more data points if you have more people right if you have more connections between the people yeah um, if you have more different types of people, and then there's a fourth thing, I uh, I forget what the fourth thing is. Um, but the idea is that um, the capitalist, uh, what's the word, credence or whatever, the capitalist ideology embraced a better data processing system. It was decentralized. The story goes, I think, when Gorbachev like went to the UK to understand what Thatcherism was and why it was so successful. Um, he sent some emissaries to go there, and they spent the entire day like walking around London and saying, "Hey, you know this is this." this. And the one thing that he said is like, "Hey, take me to a grocery store because I've been to all these grocery stores, and like you guys have no lines for bread, but yeah. in like Russia we have so many lines for bread. So I want to meet the person who is supplying bread, yeah. like who's in charge of that." Yeah, I this. And the confused like, is like no, nope, who who's in charge of bread? Like what what does that even mean? And like that's the, it's so decentralized, right? Like yeah. we, it's the to the whim of the consumer and the producers and we leave it up to the market to kind of decide that um, the idea being the market is the most efficient data processing thing that we know of. And so uh, from the lens of dataism, that's kind of why capitalism worked. Um. Uh, as governments and stuff become more centralized and like blockers for, I feel like I'm gonna go on a b- blockchain rant apparently because I've been using the word decentralized like all the time. <laughs> like, de-centralized. <laughs> decentralized, decentralized, and distributed. But um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, the the I, another like key aspect of that is like is the embracing of of the technology of the time, um, the technology of the early nineteenth century. Supported centralized stuff like let's have all the machines here and churn them out and make nuclear bombs It was really good at that, but it wasn't good at figuring out what the price of bread should be or whatever Yeah, um, however you want to view that Uh, so yeah, that's the the data, the data processing side is uh, it's neat what I actually a, a weird thought that I had when I was reading that Um, and I i'm i'm gonna open the book because I really want to see what the fourth thing is. It's driving me insane um, I really liked how the tenets of dataism in terms of okay to be a better dataist i need to improve my data processing in these four ways that's actually exactly how like the human brain evolves more neurons more okay like just more longer cells more connections between neurons i think it's either white or gray matter i I think it's gray matter but gray matter is essentially the connections between cells um sapiens has just a lot of that um, more different types of cells. So like the neuron is an incredibly complicated cell. There are um, all sorts of like enzymes that control whether um, information flows from one neuron to the other. And there's all types of weird circuitry that even acts as a buffer. Um, uh, and whatever the fourth one is also is still in line with this. Okay, how the um, how the brain uh, has evolved. I thought that was a really interesting um, And I remember i'm oh, holding on to that listen to the the names of these chapter titles <laughs> okay <laughs> so part
0: one homo sapiens conquer the world so this is kind of like uh this is the summary of sapiens, sapiens yeah of yeah general. summary of sapiens uh the anthropocene the human spark okay part two yeah. homo sapiens gives meaning to the world okay okay these are
1: all the ideologies all the religions are this covered a, here
0: storytellers the odd couple we the need modern be... covenant the humanist revolution yeah Part three, Homo sapiens loses control. The time, time bomb in the lab <laughs> bomb in the lab great decoupling, the ocean of consciousness, and the data religion. Yeah.
1: So I think uh, the final two chapters, the second to last is the techno-humanist one. The last one is the dataism. Um, it's somewhere close to the dataism. It's got like four bullet points. I wonder if we can find it. Um
0: It's, you know, it's such a dense and heavy book. <laughs> it really is. The quality of paper in this particular book is uh, exquisite. Can I? Yeah. Yeah, feel this.
1: Yeah, is right? It's really heavy, good. Yeah. Oh, is, is yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine, mine is similar too. Like, if you touch the pages.
0: Well, like, get it printed on, like, typically you would print, like, art mm-hmm. books with this type of paper. Yeah.
1: Well, it is an art book. Like, you know. No. No.
0: Nah, you know what? I'm not, <laughs> not going to go with that. Information wants to be free. That's yeah. That's one of the subheadings. Like capitalism, dataism. Ah, yeah, I found so it. it began in a... So, there
1: we go. yeah. So from a data perspective, is it is three hundred and eighty-three.
0: Oh, Okay. Right
1: yeah. You can interpret the entire human species as a data processing system, with individual humans serving as its chips. If so, you can understand the whole of history as a process of improving this system's efficiency through four basic methods: increase the processors, increase the variety of processors, increase the number of connections and increasing the freedom of movement along existing Wait, let's
0: let's uh, dive into yeah. this a little further this is like really simplistic and just like
1: yeah really it intuitive. makes a lot of sense really intuitive yeah. right it, it absolutely makes sense is how do you make an entire system better have more actors have more diverse actors um have these actors talk to each other more and help these actors move around right like that that makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense Yeah,
0: Yeah. so let's take it a step further. Okay, so one, increasing the number of processors. A city of 100,000 people has more computing power than a village of 1,000 people. Exactly. Two, increasing the variety of processors. Different processors may use diverse ways to calculate and analyze data. Using several kinds of processors in a single system, may therefore increase its dynamism and creativity the conversation between a a peasant a priest and a physician may produce novel ideas that would never emerge from a conversation between three hunter gatherers
1: right yeah so so the way i feel like this is there in the brain is there are so many different types of neuron circuits that um, uh, drive say how we experience pain right Uh, or how we experience any kind of sensation And just the sheer variety in that, I think, lends it, makes it such a complex uh, organ in the body. Right. Um, And it's 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 true about data as well. Right. I I work in tech and I feel like a lot of this is resonated with me and both like at a biological as well as a like a a corporate level. So, okay,
0: three increasing the number of connections between processors. Mm -hmm. There is little point in increasing the mere number and variety of processors if they are poorly connected to each other. A trade network linking 10 cities is likely likely to result in many more economic, technological, and social innovations than 10 isolated cities. Yep, this Makes is a great sense. matter in the brain. Increasing four, increasing the freedom of movement along existing connections. Connecting processors is hardly useful if data cannot flow freely. Just building roads between 10 cities won't be very useful if they are plagued by robbers or if some paranoid <laughs> despot doesn't allow merchants to and travelers to move as they wish yeah Yeah. interesting yeah so what what was your biggest takeaway from this book the biggest takeaway like how how would you apply or how have you applied what you read here moving forward
1: um i think so okay sapiens i i I feel like this is a long-winded question just because i've read like both of them and they seem you know he's described human history now he's describing human future so with sapiens for me like every emotion or thought that i had i would always trace back to like the myths or yeah. what is the underlying story um over here like i feel like i do it the same way um and sapiens is like homo deus has made it kind of narrow now like now that i know or now that i accept that humanism is the religion that i believe in that you know i i or at least like um that I, I implicitly assume is true yeah i i stop at the thought and i again challenge that assumption first i'm like hey like is that really something that i want to do um and the same way i, I do I, the narrative and experiencing self like the the difference between your left and right side of the brain like because um, i feel like a lot of my life i like i make habits uh and i try to kind of uh abide by them right so i try to like I, I'm very rigorous about like my practicing of music, for example, right? And I, I really try to spend an hour sometimes and when I don't do it, like, you know, I feel bad. But I'm like, maybe I've been doing it for too long. Maybe my experiencing self was yeah. really trying to tell me something there. And I should chill out for just a second and, you know, like maybe get back to it later. Um, I think that it's and I guess contrary to what he says, it's, it's made me trust the algorithms less and pay attention to what I want more. Because I feel like, like I'm a biological creature at the end of the yeah. day, right? So um, I I know that the algorithms could tell me what I want. I don't want to listen to the damn algorithms. <laughs> so do you think listening to the
0: algorithm makes life less enjoyable,
1: or entertaining? Uh, or no, I mean, like I think that you it could argue that takes out the randomness. Uh, sure. You know, that's a that 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 might be a good way to do it, right? Um, because I think that look, if you, and there are a lot of people that are like a lot of logical people I okay I think it's a very rational thing to just listen to the algorithm right um but I think that like the way I would rationalize um uh listening to the algorithm would be like okay you know what living in Chicago makes absolutely no sense just because of rent and remote work I need to just go outside and go live in a smaller place and with all of that excess funds invest heavily in like um in like actually pay for dating apps because then you optimize those algorithms for you actually pay for (laughs) a host of these other services that you know like that so with the like i feel like you could you could really like boil your life down to an excel sheet then and if i commit to the algorithms like i wouldn't be doing it right unless i did that And so i don't want to do that though like
0: okay so do you think there are going to be companies soon where It seems like people already just give away all their information and data. Yeah. So will there be companies that will say, hey, give us the data on your your smartwatch, give us your Google, give us your internet browsing history, give us your blah, 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 and we'll put it together to give you a picture of
1: who you are or like what you should be doing optimizing your life. I think that, I think that like, that's the end goal of Cortana or Siri or Alexa, right? Like Like a life coach. Yeah. Like a life coach. Exactly. Like a data life coach. Well, I I definitely think that that's the end goal of like, um, each of those tools. And I'm pretty sure that that's what Steve Jobs had in his head when he like announced Siri to the world and then everyone just copied it. So, um, I don't, I I think that we know the companies that are going to offer this, right. Um, uh, yeah I, I don't think that that's too far-fetched at all so i i agree with his like um take that that's gonna become a lot more commonplace with like hey i just read all your emails um before you send this your blood pressure is a little high and when you're a little angry you don't write the best emails so maybe yeah. take a walk and like it, it's it's jarvis the, jarvis. Jarvis. jarvis exactly jarvis exactly jarvis
0: right yeah Tony Stark's uh, (laughs) vision right yeah (laughs) visual uh, virtual assistant Paul Bettany in the MCU so so I remember uh, there was a part where talks about wealth is not actual resources wealth is knowledge so he, he talks about like the Middle East like fighting for physical resources, but like in the future, it's all about wealth and in, or uh, knowledge and information. So like a uh, Silicon Valley companies, it's the information that they can sell that's.
1: So I think I think this is the the knowledge equation. That okay. what he'll do is, um, and this is another like I just love this guy because he uh, distills these complicated concepts in a very intuitive way um but uh i wish i can remember exactly okay so knowledge in the religious age where the atheist uh, or the theist age is scriptures multiplied by maybe a little bit of logic um knowledge in the scientific age okay so what what we mean by that is take all the scripts that we have all the pages of the bible all the pages of the gita whatever it is and apply some logical interpretation to it and this is how you become wise yeah in the scientific age it is um, observation and experimentation I think um, yeah. or maths I believe math and logic or math and experimentation okay uh, in the current age in the humanist age it is emotion and sensation what do you feel and how do you how do you maximize that right you've taken all the inputs from your senses you take in all the emotions that you feel and then you are more knowledgeable about yourself right and like pursuing like think about the amount of reflective essays you wrote in your school growing up right yeah. what was the point of that it's to get in touch with your senses and your emotions right because we think that having that info makes you wiser um but in the information age um i don't think he has a knowledge equation though i think we could come up with one right it would be like data lines or in like volume of information multiplied by well it could be both those four things in the data processing right the number amount of the information you have and how good the algorithm is? <laughs> I don't know. We're starting to get late in the podcast, and now, now,
0: now, all the things we're talking about is like well, are starting to get late too, Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. yeah hey, you you watching this? You had that, this, it's, you it's had going that coffee, tonight, so yeah. It's like it's like now we're t- all the technology and equations are going through my all head, and right. they're they're not calculating as they're not processing as efficiently as they were an hour ago. Sure, sure,
1: <laughs> sure, Fair. very, yeah. Um, I guess yeah. In summary, I I I, I kind of want to go back to your question about like how I have changed like a little bit into or what what I guess I take back from this book. You know, I don't think I don't think a lot of my behaviors have changed, but I think that I think I've become a little bit more suspicious for sure. Like just uh, of, um, of of a new technology. Like, what is the end goal? How does it tie to the humanist agenda? And what is yeah. the dystopian scenario? Like ask yourself those questions right about something i it's not something that we do because we consume so much um in today right there's just like a saturation of content that we're just overblown with oh he has this great quote right um um, what's the word it's uh a censure not, not censure a censorship yeah censorship in the medieval ages was not telling the masses something Censorship in the information age is over flooding you with stuff so you don't know what to oh, think. Oh, yeah. What a brilliant quote that is, right? And yeah. so I think that, um, yeah, I think uh, being more deliberate about what I choose to consume, just because I'm, it, he, he really broadens your perspective about technology and uh, the way you live your life. So yeah. I think that's that, that's probably the biggest take back for me um, from reading this book. So.
0: Yeah, an excellent book.
1: Um, Excellent book. Excellent oh. book. Re- I did. I did want to add one thing. Um, I know that you mentioned that he has two books. He's the author of three books. Twenty one lessons for the twenty first century. Have you century. read that one? I have not read that one. See, but... I
0: have. Okay.
1: And I think it's a watered
0: down version of this. Oh. Okay. I think it's for. No offense. <laughs> I think it's for. I think it's for people who can't really grasp, like the like
1: more dense concepts yeah and, and he, he he tackles a pretty tough subject right like i mean yeah. if you think about sapiens i'm it's...
0: suspicious for the record yeah i'm <laughs> for suspicious. for the record
1: hold up <laughs> I'm, I'm suspicious of any books that
0: do like numbers 21 lessons for the 21st century oh, Wait, 15 steps to this or Why? nine things i think it's i think it's um a cop-out a little bit of a co- I have only spoon. nine things to say. Right? It's not as. Uh, it's trying to spoon feed me, but I'm not a. I'm not a baby. Mm, okay, I can.
1: I'm it's, a grown man. Been... <laughs> I can
0: extract the information and knowledge. W- I think without having a. You're a strong,
1: independent man, and you don't need no author to tell you. That's right. <laughs> Damn straight. All right. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it's a little watered
1: down. They're prescriptive, right? They're they're. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually I, I do agree. I think that I don't like. i don't think any of us like being told what to do right um and some of those feel very prescriptive so actually one of my least favorite books in the world is rich dad poor dad because Mm. i just feel like it's this old dude telling me like hey man this is how you can be a million i'm like dude shut up like god damn it i am sick of you I don't know if you've read this book, but I've, I, I've read the book. I,
0: I know a lot of people that have found a lot of value from it. Yeah, i think sure, sure it I'm is sure outdated, is. though, in it's yeah. concepts. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. We're but not so, going to add that to the next book that we do on this podcast. Yeah. So so
0: anyways, this has been a <laughs> Deus Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're uh, we're going to pick a, another one soon. What you want to do a history of future cities or um, a billion Americans? We could do
1: uh, I want to do a billion Americans because I've read okay. I've heard good things about the book. We can leave it up to the fans as well. That would be pretty cool. Um, but this is not a democracy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the data has shown me that a billion Americans will be the next one. Okay. Yeah. Matthew. It's not a democracy yet. So, yeah, it'll be a billion Americans. So we'll we'll uh, do, do another uh, book podcast on that. Sounds was so, good. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Sanche at It's Me Sanj, and also his, uh, his music at Sanj Riquez. Take the rest of your day to think about the future of humankind.